You're listening to Pastor Ryan Couch as he teaches through the book of Ephesians. If you have your Bibles with you, please open them there. We are about to enter into that third and final section of Ephesians as we've been studying through Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. And as we just saw in that clip, we too are in a battle that Paul is going to begin to highlight for us and give us some insight into the spiritual battle that we face. Whether we like it or not, the battle exists. Denying it or running from it will not make it go away. In fact, it will intensify it and make us more vulnerable to it. And so we're entering that third section really dealing with our warfare as believers. We've looked at our wealth, chapters 1 through 3, and, and saw all the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ as we sang this morning. In Christ are 10,000 charms. We have seen our wealth. And then we, we moved in in chapters 4 and 5 and part of chapter 6 and we talked about our walk. And when we understand our wealth, it then enables us to have the proper walk, to follow Jesus the way He wants us to follow Him. But now in verse 10 of chapter 6 of Ephesians, we enter that third section dealing with our warfare. And in our battle, in our warfare as followers of Jesus, it is important that we recognize three things. First of all, the source of our strength. Secondly, the source of our protection. And then thirdly, the source of our warfare. So let's read our text, and then we'll talk about those things. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles or the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, in light of this battle, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. And so first of all, in our battle, in our warfare as believers, it's important that we understand the source of our strength. He says in verse 10, finally... Paul is closing out the letter. Here's some closing thoughts. Finally, my brethren, that is, those of you who are followers of Jesus, who understand the wealth that you have. I talked about that in chapters 1 through 3, Paul says. You understand that, and you understand that you need to follow Jesus, and you need to walk after Him, and we've talked about that. He says, now you need to know, brethren, those of you that understand those things, that you're in a battle. That if you are truly appropriating the wealth of God and you are walking after God, that you will have warfare. Not you might, but you will. If you desire to be a follower of Jesus. You can run from that war and you can try to pretend as if that battle doesn't exist, but it's there. And we're in the thick of it every single day. And finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. And so... In the midst of this battle, we need to understand where the source of our strength comes from. Because the Bible makes it really clear, John 15, verse 5, that apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. Not that you can do some things, or not that you can do a few things, but you can do nothing of any eternal value apart from Jesus. 
And so you need to understand where your strength comes from because it won't come from you and it won't come from me. It has to come from the Lord. We cannot wage this war in our own strength or in our own power. Zerubbabel was reminded of this in Zechariah chapter 4. Zerubbabel, along with a host of Israelites, re-entered Israel after 70 years of Babylonian captivity. Their mission to rebuild the temple. They were excited. This was a, an awesome time in Israel's history. Wow, we're going to recapture our land. This will be amazing. And things are always amazing. Things are always exciting until they get hard. And they showed up and it was ruins. You have to remember, these, these men, these women, had never even been there before. Seventy years they had been in Babylon. They didn't even know what it looked like. Well, they found out very quickly what it looked like when it was destroyed. And it was a pile of rubble, rock and stone. And they got discouraged. And they thought, you know what, this is way too much work. And so instead of rebuilding the temple, they built homes for themselves. Instead of spending their resources on rebuilding what God wanted and had called them to do, they spent it on themselves. And you can read about that in Haggai as the prophet just said, Look, you want to know why your pockets have holes in them and why you can't seem to rub two nickels together? It's because your priorities are all out of whack. And God called you 16 years previously to rebuild the temple. And I don't know if you've noticed, but it's still in ruins. Your houses look good, but the temple is in ruins. So why don't you get going on what God had called you to do? You know what? I think that message is pertinent for us. But Zerubbabel looked at the ruins. He looked at the rubble and he thought to himself, this is way too much work. And he got discouraged and he quit. And God came to him in Zechariah chapter 4. And God said, look, Zerubbabel, it's not by might. It's not by power, but it's by my Holy Spirit. And I want to fill you to overflowing. I want to empower you for the work that I've given you because my calling is my enabling. If I call you to do something, I will enable you to do it. So you showed up here and you were excited to do it and you knew I called you to do it. Do you not think I'm going to give you the resources to fulfill the mission? And Zerubbabel was able to look at that pile of rubble and he was able to shout grace, grace to it. And I don't know what kind of rubble or what kind of ruins are in your life, but I know that we all have them and we all have a battle that we're facing. And if you look at the battle instead of the Lord, you'll get discouraged and you'll quit. God wants us to know where the source of our strength is. It's in His Holy Spirit. It's in His power. We can do nothing apart from Jesus, but the Bible tells us that we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. And so we have a choice. Nothing apart from Jesus, all things with Jesus. It's kind of a no-brainer. And so the source of our strength, be strong in the Lord and the power of His might. Just like a good soldier understands the source of his strength. He, he knows that it's in his weapons. That he needs to know his weapon. He needs to be able to take it apart and put it back together with his eyes closed. If he's a fighter pilot, he knows that it's in his knowledge of that jet. A fighter pilot doesn't try to engage in hand-to-hand -hand combat. He knows where his strength is. It's in his knowledge, his ability to fly that plane. Or an athlete. They know the source of their strength. They know their strengths. They know their weaknesses. They know what is going to enable them to win. In baseball, 
the leadoff guy doesn't try to hit home runs. He knows that his job is to get on base, to draw a walk, to look at pitches, to irritate the other team, to get on to steal a base, whatever. He doesn't try to do what he's not capable of. We need to understand the source of our strength. We can do all things through Jesus who gives us strength. It's not only understanding the source of our strength, it's also understanding and recognizing the source of our protection. Verses 11 and 13, he says, put on the whole armor of God. And so there's this armor that much like a soldier, we wear. That we are able to stand against the wiles or the schemes or literally the methods of the devil. And so there's an armor that we put on to stand against the enemy of our souls. He says, therefore, understanding that you're in a battle, and just like a soldier, when he understands he's in a battle, he takes up his armor. Now, today's armor looks a little different than their armor, but there's armor nonetheless. He takes up his weaponry. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God. Not part of it or, or what's convenient for you or what's easy for you to put on, but the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. And so we're going to get into those specific pieces of armor next week. But notice that he says take up the whole armor. And notice he says when you have it on, then you're able to stand, which tells me that when you don't have it on, you're not able to stand. And if you're living a defeated life, I don't think you need to go much further than looking at the fact that you're not appropriating the resources that God has made available to you. And so the source of our protection, we can look at each one of these things as we will last week, but really they're all found in Jesus. Jesus, again, is the source of our protection. And Jesus has already given us the victory. In Colossians chapter 2, Paul tells us that at the cross... Jesus disarmed all of the power of the enemy. And so the source of our protection is certainly Jesus. It's certainly the cross. The Bible says that he that is in us is greater than he that is in the world. We need to understand that. That we're in a battle against an enemy, yes, but we've already been given the victory. And he's the source of our protection. God told Abraham not to worry, not to be afraid that he said, I am your shield and your exceedingly great reward. Throughout the Psalms, we read of, of God as being our rock, of being our shield, our protector, our fortress. And Jesus said, again in John 15, abide in me. Abide in me. It means to make your home in. I think many Christians, many of us, are simply not abiding in Jesus. We're not making our home in Him. How do we make our home in Him? Well, I think, first of all, it starts with being a person of the Word. If we want to recognize the source of our protection, we need to be people of the Word of God because that is where we understand who God is. And see, when you're not in the Word, you forget who Jesus is. You forget how powerful He is. You forget how much you need Him when you're not in the Word, when I'm not in the Word. And I don't just mean reading the Bible to fill a quota. And I don't mean that you're reading the Bible thinking about somebody else and how it applies to them, but you're reading the Word and you're thinking about how it applies to you. And see, it could be very easy for me as a pastor to just simply read the Bible as a, a job, as a means to create messages. And the Bible becomes nothing more than a wrench or a scalpel or some other tool in the hand 
of a person with a trade. The Bible is not a tool in that sense. The Bible is, is living and active. And the Bible is the revelation of God to us. Now, God can't be contained in a book. We need to understand that. I think sometimes as church that loves the Bible, Calvary Chapel, known for teaching the Word of God verse by verse and chapter by chapter, I think sometimes we can get this mindset that God is contained in the Bible or that the Bible becomes sort of the fourth member of the Godhead. We don't worship the Bible, nor is God contained in the Bible. But what God has chosen to reveal about Himself to us is in the Word of God. He's much bigger than what is here, but that's what He's revealed to us. It's what we need. We don't need anything else, otherwise He would have given it to us. We've been given everything we need for a life of godliness. And so Jesus is the source of our protection, and the way that we get to know Jesus is through His Word. Man, that's important, and I can't emphasize that enough. Psalm chapter 1 tells us that, that people that are people of the Word are like a tree planted by the rivers of water. They're strong. They're healthy. They produce fruit. If you look at your life, and you see weakness, and you see sickness, and you see a lack of fruit, and you see mediocrity, then you know that you need to be a person of the Word. You need to get into the Word and allow God's Word to get into you. As Colossians says, allow the Word of God to dwell richly in you. Jeremiah says, your words were found and I did eat them. Your Word was found and I consumed it. He didn't say, your Word was found and I heard about it and it sounded cool, but I just basically did nothing with it. Or your words were found and I ignored them. Or your words were found, and I read them, and I heard them, and then I threw it on the coffee table to collect dust. Or your words were found on Sunday, and when I walked out the door, it didn't even make one bit of change or transformation in my life for the rest of the week. And see, there's a danger in that. There's a real inherent danger in the fact that you are a person that is sitting here this morning. In that, if you choose to hear the Word of God and do nothing with it, it's going to be a real problem for you. Because the Word of God is not something that you can just be neutral about. You either completely despise it and never listen to it, or you allow it to capture you. You allow it to consume you. You allow it to be the driving force and guide of your life. Because you cannot be neutral about the Word of God. And I think many of our problems lie in the fact that we know the Word, but we do nothing with it. And John tells us in the book of Revelation, he ate the scroll. And initially it was sweet. But then it went down into his belly and it was bitter. It's an interesting story. Basically, how it applies to us is that we eat the Word of God and it, initially it's sweet. Oh man, that was the most amazing message. Or, wow, that, that's such a great verse and we hang it on our wall. But we don't allow it to transform our life and pretty soon that Word of God becomes bitterness to us because we've neglected it. Because we've despised it. And God will not allow us to just function in that place of lukewarmness. God says, I'd rather you were hot or cold, but you're lukewarm and I want to spew you out of my mouth. The only thing that makes sense in that is that God would rather have us be on one side or the other. 
not coming to church, reading the Word, hearing about the Word, but then not allowing it and not having it transform you. Step one is being a hearer of the Word. And you need to place yourself in a position where you're hearing from God. Not just here, but daily. But then not only being a hearer, but a doer of the Word. And so the source of our strength is Jesus. We learn about Jesus from His Word. I think we get to know Jesus in prayer. We need to be people of prayer. Paul says pray without ceasing. It means that we're in a constant conversation with God. Because in that, we get a new perspective about things. And it helps us in the battle that we're in. We need a new perspective. We need to understand that we're in a battle, but that He's given us the victory and He's given us protection. And like the servant of Elisha, Gehazi, his eyes were opened and he was able to see what was really going on. He was able to see that yes, there was an enemy army invading them, but surrounding that army was an even larger army of God's powerful forces. And so we need that perspective. We need to have a new perspective given to us and it comes often through prayer. When you're in the, the heat of an argument with your spouse and you just take the time to pray, it can diffuse that warfare that's going on. When you're in the, the midst of a, a difficult situation and you, and you just ask God to, to meet you where you're at, to meet your need, and you give it to Him as the Bible says in Philippians chapter 4 that we give Him our worries and He gives us his peace. And there's this awesome transfer. We, we need that. We need that new perspective. And you know what? You cannot figure this out in a mathematic equation. There's nothing logical about it. It's not like, well, if I spend five minutes in the Bible and five minutes in prayer, then I'll have victory. And, you know, th there's no formula for this. People think, well, well, how does this reading the Bible or, or prayer help me in my daily life? I mean, what is that really going to accomplish? And you cannot figure it out what the Word of God does when you allow it to come into your life or what prayer does when you just simply give your concerns over to the Lord and, and you talk to the Lord and you worship Him. It's not something that you can punch into a computer and, and be given data about it. It's supernatural. It's spiritual. You can't explain it, but it just works. If you'll just allow God to speak to you through His Word. If you'll just talk to God in prayer. If you'll wait on the Lord. It's an amazing thing that takes place. And so the source of our strength, Jesus certainly. The source of our protection, again, it's Jesus. It's found in the Word. It's found in prayer. I would say it's found in fellowship. It's found in using your gifts that God has given you, being a part of the body of Christ, allowing other people to augment your life with their gifts. And people call me and you know they're just beat up and they're just trashed and they want some complicated reason for why their life is so messed up. And it's like, well, let's get back to the ABCs. First of all, you haven't been in the Word. You don't spend time in prayer. You don't come to church. You don't serve. I don't think it's real complicated. Why don't you start doing those things and seeing what God will do in your life? The basics. Back to the basics. But no, we, we want some complicated thing and, and so we're gonna we're gonna try to figure it out. We're gonna try to figure it out from a, a very fleshly standpoint. And as we read here, our battle isn't against flesh and blood, so why are we trying to wage it on a fleshly level? The weapons of our warfare are not carnal. 
They're mighty in God. And so we have to use spiritual weapons if we plan on having spiritual victory. If not, it's like going to battle with a toy gun. You can go, but you're going to lose. So we, the source of our strength, the source of our protection, and finally, verse 12, the source of our warfare. He says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And so we need to understand the source of our warfare. We're in a battle. We understand that. Maybe you, you, you concede that in your mind, but you need to understand who your battle is against. Just like when we send soldiers to the Middle East, we give them a clue as to who their battle is against. They need to recognize their enemy. When you go to war, one of the most important things is that you understand who you're fighting against. First of all, you need to understand that you're in a war. It's kind of important. When you're a soldier, you go to battle, you need to remember every day, every minute that you're in a war. They don't ever forget they're in a war. Maybe you've forgotten that you're in a war. And they also don't ever forget who their enemy is. Maybe you've forgotten who your enemy is. And our enemy, he's called by many names and many titles. We know him as Satan. We know him as the devil. Satan began his career on, on the right track. I mean, he was an angel. He was a cherub. He was the worship leader in heaven. You've got to watch out for worship leaders. He was, he was doing an amazing job. But he began to, to be lifted up with pride. He began to think of himself more highly than he should have. It began to be about him. And everything began to revolve around him. And he began to think that, I don't need God. In fact, I want to be God. And you read in Isaiah chapter 14, and you read of the I statements of the devil. That I this and I that and I will make myself like the Most High God. And whenever you put I on the throne of your life, you are following in the footsteps of the devil. And you are a Satan worshiper in that sense. When you put I on the throne of your life. Look, you don't need to dress in black and sacrifice cats to be a Satan worshiper. That's a very small percentage. And I would say, in a lot of ways, a harmless percentage of the effects of the devil in this world. And the church always gets things wrong, it seems. We fight against the wrong things. We fight against Halloween as if trick-or-treating is going to be the way in which we're going to bring the devil into our life. Meanwhile, we're filled with pride and arrogance. Oh, don't let your kids go trick-or-treating, but go ahead and be filled with pride and gluttony and foolishness and stupidity doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? Because we're fighting the wrong battle. The source of our warfare, Satan, the Bible tells us that because he lifted himself higher than he should have, because he filled himself with pride, that God just basically said with a word, you're done. And what was this amazingly beautiful creature who was leading worship in heaven now became this disgusting, gross figure that the Bible says is the enemy of our souls. He was cast out of heaven. It seems from Revelation chapter 12 that he took a third of the angelic host with him. And that's a, a passage of Scripture that often we, we use as um, something that's real black and white. You know, that the devil for sure took a third of the angels. And the Bible isn't black and white on that. 
It's possible. Certainly, he, it seems to make sense. But from Revelation 12, you, you connect it to Isaiah chapter 14, Ezekiel chapter 28, but it, it's still a bit cloudy as to whether or not for sure that's what happened. But he did take some angels with him, and they became demons. These that wanted to follow the devil and follow his plan. And ever since then, we don't know when that happened. certainly happened before creation of man because there was Eve and Satan came to Eve to tempt her to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he tempted her with what he wanted. And that was to become like God. Look, if you partake of this tree, you will be like God. And Satan has been tempting us and coming against us ever since. The Bible says he hates us. The Bible says that he's roaming about seeking whom he may devour. Not seeking whom he can bless or who he can give a good time to. No, whom he can destroy. He wants to destroy your life. He's stalking you. We get kind of scared of stalkers. Women get scared of, of stalkers, right? Nobody wants to have a stalker. Well, guess what? We have one. And he wants to, to destroy you, and he's real smart about it. And so he'll wait, and he plots, and he plans. But there's a tendency in the church to do one of two things with the devil. You can see it real clearly. There's, there's a faction of the church that wants to pretend like the devil doesn't exist, and if we don't talk about him, he'll go away. Then there's a faction of the church that wants to pretend like the devil is in everything. I mean, he's, he's everywhere. Like the guy that pulled into my fruit stand one day and came running in yelling the devil was chasing him. And I just, I looked around at where? Where is he? I don't see him, you know? And so there's, there's one extreme or the other that we tend to, to, to get into as believers because God wants us to be balanced and we tend to be extremists. Some of us are ignoring the devil and some of us are giving way too much credit to the devil. And it's all about the devil and, and people are casting demons out of believers and it's the demon of lust and it's the demon of gambling and it's the demon of chocolate. And everything's got a, a demon attached to it. I remember I was a sophomore in high school. I got roped into going to this retreat. And I got saved in a Baptist church. And so the only thing I knew about Christianity of the year in a half that I had been saved was pretty mellow. You know, hymns and old people and it was it was mellow. It was real mellow, right? That's the only thing I knew. And I get invited to this retreat and I knew better than to go because it was with this church that was crazy. It was one of those crazy churches. And I knew better than to go but I went anyway and I got twisted into going. My arm got twisted into going. So the first night, you know, they just figure, why waste any time? The first night, there's a big amphitheater, right? And it's pitch black except for this guy up on the stage with a flashlight. And he would inadvertently turn the flashlight on and, and he would say, the Lord's speaking to me and, and some of you have demons. And, and you need to have these demons cast out of you, right? And I'm just thinking, dear Lord, if this guy flashes me, I am running for my life. I don't know what this guy's got in mind. So he's just flashing kids. And then he would tell them, okay, go down to the, the cafeteria that was at this retreat center. And there's this guy who's like a demonologist. 
And he's down there and he's just waiting for you kids and he's going to cast these demons out of you. So at least they were doing it in private, I guess. And what he would do, this was the method at the time, he would just punch you in the stomach. And that was supposed to release the demons out of you. And I thought, look, buddy, if you shine this light on me, this, I, this isn't going to be good. So that's the extremes that we'll go to. We don't talk about him at all, pretend like he doesn't exist, or we do weird stuff like that. And I think the devil, I mean, he just thinks that's hilarious. He's just like, look, I got a bunch of Christians who the Bible makes it really clear I can't even enter their lives, but they're doing a whole retreat casting me out of people when they ought to be praying. They ought to be seeking the Lord, and they ought to be teaching these kids about Jesus and how much He loves them. And he thinks it's funny, I'm sure. I would think it was funny. So the source of our warfare, Satan, his demons, we need to understand who he is. And he says there that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. And so in understanding the source of our warfare, we understand that this struggle is supernatural. That it's not against flesh and blood. And so like I said, that you can't go to a, a supernatural spiritual battle with carnal and earthly weapons. We need to understand that this battle that we're in it's not against flesh and blood. And so it doesn't do any good to try to battle against people or yourself. It's not against flesh. It's not against blood. It's not your spouse. The battle is not with them. The battle is a spiritual battle. The battle is that there's a disconnect in your relationship with Jesus and you need to take care of that. The, the battle is with the devil. And you need to understand that. It's not with the clerk at the grocery store who's giving you a difficult time. It's not with your boss. It's not with your parents. It's not with your upbringing. Your battle is a spiritual battle. And you need to fight it on a spiritual front. He says, put on the whole armor, or excuse me, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. And that word wrestle, it's important that we understand that not only the struggle is supernatural, but that the struggle is personal. The word wrestle or struggle here, it does not have in mind a war in the typical sense of war, where there's many soldiers and, and there are people fighting all around us and there's planes flying overhead and bullets whizzing by. That's not what Paul has in mind here. As he gets into the specific pieces of armor, he's talking about a Roman soldier. But here, when he uses this word wrestle or struggle, the idea is hand-to-hand -hand combat. And what Paul has in mind here is Roman wrestling. Paul loves sports. He talks about it all the time. talks about the Olympics and running. He talks about wrestling. We need to understand that our battle with Satan is a personal battle. That we're struggling against him in our own heart, in our own life. It's a Spanish phrase, mano y mano. It doesn't mean we're fighting by ourselves because we have Jesus that lives in our heart. But it's a, a personal battle with the devil. It's not a corporate battle with all of these people in your life that are seemingly coming against you. Struggle is personal. And he says here that, that the devil is very crafty in his attack against you. The schemes and the wiles and the methods of the devil. He wants to come against you and it's like a wrestling match. And just like in wrestling, you understand that it, it's not who's the strongest. It, it's not who is 
necessarily the best athlete. It's the person who understands how to react to the other person's moves. And the devil's very crafty in his attack against you. And so he just waits. And he's a lot more patient than we are. He's very patient to wait for you to open the door. Just like a good wrestler waits for that opportunity where the person makes a wrong move. And they capitalize on that. And the devil's waiting for you to open the door. The devil's waiting for you to give him a foothold so that he can have a stronghold in your life. And we do that in a lot of different ways. We give him a foothold into our life. We give him the ability to come into our life. And he'll wait, and he'll plot, and he'll plan. And once he finds that way into your life, he will use it until it destroys you or until he can figure another way out if you begin to stand against that. And again, it's not complicated. And people will often miss what the devil is doing in their life when it's sitting right there in front of them. And you can watch people come to church, take their children back to the children's ministry, to a classroom, and watch that child throw a fit. Watch that parent then respond to that child by bringing them into the service or by leaving. Well, what happened? Well, my child does not want to come into the service, and so now I'm going to bring them in here where I will be completely distracted by them, and so will everybody else. And what we don't recognize in that is a couple things. Number one, it's really bad parenting because you're basically telling your child that they run the show. That if they throw a fit, you respond to that and you give them what they want. We're also doing something else. We're cluing the devil into the fact that he can get into your life through your kids. And so he'll disrupt things all the time. And parents wonder, why is it that on Sunday morning everything just goes completely to hell? Well, there's a reason for it. Because the devil doesn't want you to get to church. He doesn't want you to come and hear the Word. He doesn't want you to fellowship with other believers. And so he knows that if he can get your kids all freaked out and, and make it seem like they have demons, if he can do that, if he can get you and your spouse at each other's throat on the way to church, and you will, because of your guilt, not come and just drive on by and just say, you know what, forget it. And then that turns into a habit. The devil will then continue to seize upon that. It's a weakness in your wrestling. And he will seize upon it. And he will capitalize on it. And he will pin you every time. Because we have to understand something about the devil. First of all, he's, he's powerful. But he's, he's not omnipotent. He's very powerful, but he's not all-powerful. So he's had to learn how to have power in our lives. He's well-traveled. The Bible says that he's roaming the earth, seeking whom he may devour. He's got lots of demons out there, but he can only be in one place at a time. He's not omnipresent. He can't read your mind. It's not all-knowing. He's real smart, but he's not omniscient. He doesn't know everything. But he has learned a few things on the, on the way. Think about somebody that's like 75 years old. And, and I love to give you know, older folks a hard time in our church. I love them to death. But you, you think, that's just because I'm young. You know, pretty soon I'll be old and then I'll give young people a hard time. So, that, it's just, you know, it, it's the, the privilege of having a mic. That's the, bit, the bottom line. But, you know, as an, as an older person, you've learned a few things. You're smarter than us younger people because you've been through stuff. 
You've bought several homes and, and you've been through difficulties and, and you've been married for decades and you've raised kids and you, you've done all these things so you've learned a few things along the way. Think about how much you would learn if you were like five or 6,000 years old. You have learned a few things along the way. And Satan has learned a few things along the way. But he's not all-knowing. But he will study you. Just like a good wrestler will study his opponent. And he'll watch for weaknesses. And that's what he's doing in your life. He's waiting for you to do something stupid. He's waiting for you to open the door to him. And maybe you've already done that. Maybe what was a foothold has now become a stronghold in your life and in my life. And we need to allow the devil to, to be removed in his power and his influence in our life. The Bible says if you resist the devil, he will flee from you. doesn't mean he'll flee forever. It means he'll flee from that particular area and he'll find another area. He's constantly looking for a way into your life. And so, parents, if it's your kids, he'll keep using it. And so don't allow them to have the victory. Allow your kids to throw a fit in that area, in that place, at that time. But know that eventually the devil is going to give up on that and he'll try something else. It isn't how we start in this Christian walk that we're in. We often have in our mind the idea of a sprint. And we sprint up to the altar and we say a sinner's prayer which doesn't even exist in the Bible. And, and we make some sort of profession of faith that, that I'm now a Christian, that I'm a follower of Jesus, and, and we're going to sprint, but wait a second, it's a marathon. And it isn't so much what you said five years ago or ten years ago or twenty years ago, but where are you at with Jesus right now? And what kind of influence have you allowed the devil to have in your life right now? Because he doesn't care how you start, he cares how you end. That's what he cares about. And he wants to just have some way into your life so that he can ruin your testimony, so that he can ruin your influence upon your friends, so that he can ruin your reputation, so that he can ruin what God wants to, to do in your life as a parent, so that your kids lose respect for you. That's what he wants to do. And he'll look for that, and he'll find that, and he'll seize on it, and he'll keep doing it until you don't allow him to, because you don't have to allow him to. The Bible says that we're already victorious, that we've been given the victory, that we are more than conquerors, Romans 8.37. We have to allow Him to do it. And sometimes it's because we want to, because we want to enjoy that sin, so we let Him in. Come on in. And sometimes it's just because we're being stupid and we leave the door open and we've got to go back and we've got to shut the door and we've got to take care of that area of our life. And again, it's not rocket science, but it's just a matter of setting up safeguards in your life so that the enemy cannot get in and destroy you. Because that's what he wants to do. He's not passive, you guys. He's not neutral. He is consciously, tactfully figuring out a way that he can destroy your life. And he doesn't care how you start. He cares how you finish. And that's why Paul said, I buffet my body, lest... While preaching to others, I myself should become disqualified. Paul put himself in a position where he was constantly aware of the devil's desire to destroy him. And he said, I buffet my body, which basically means he disciplined himself. Again, like an athlete. Some of us look a lot like I do physically in your spiritual life. A little chubby, 
got some love handles, you're out of shape. God says, man, I want you to exercise yourself toward godliness because you're losing the battle. You're losing it. Second Samuel chapter 23, we find a, an interesting list of men, David's mighty men. And David is about to give his throne over to Solomon. And he gives us a list of these men that were influential, that were key in David's army. A ragtag group of guys. And you know what's interesting about that list? Is not who's on it, but who isn't on it. You know who isn't on it? Joab. How is Joab not on the list of David's mighty men? He was the, the captain, the general. He was the mightiest of David's mighty men. He was the guy that would rip your throat out for looking at him sideways. He was the guy like Mel Gibson and Braveheart. That was Joab. You didn't mess with Joab. How's Joab not on the list of David's mighty men? Because he loved the applause and the praise and the affection of men more than he did the affection and the praise of his leader. And he turned his back on David at the end. How about Ahithophel? Ahithophel was a brilliant man. Was the man that David went to for counsel. That David went to to figure out how to win these battles. And Ahithophel gave him counsel. And Ahithophel told him how to fight and how to wage warfare. And Ahithophel gave him wisdom. But no Ahithophel and David's mighty men. You want to know why? Because Ahithophel was Bathsheba's grandfather. And when David slept with her and impregnated her and killed Uriah, Ahithophel lost all respect for David and he allowed bitterness to creep into his life and he allowed his heart to get hard toward his leader, toward David, and he never forgave him for that and it ruined his life. You want to know who else isn't on that list? Jonathan. How's Jonathan not on that list? Jonathan, David's best friend, David's companion. But in the end, Jonathan chose Saul instead of David. You guys, it's not complicated. But we're in a battle. And who are we going to allow to dictate the course of our life? Is it going to be Satan? And you can do nothing and he'll still be the king of your life. You don't have to do anything. Again, you don't have to go and worship him directly. Just do nothing and he'll be the king of your life. He'll be the ruler of your life. Or you can say, you know what? I don't want to lose. I'm not going to give the devil victory in my life. I'm not going to let him take me down. I understand that I'm wrestling against flesh and blood. I understand I'm wrestling against these principalities, these powers, these rulers and hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. I recognize that. It's a very, very organized, powerful, spiritual force that's coming against me. And the only hope I have of victory is through Jesus. And so Jesus, I want to draw close to you. I want to abide in you. I want to make my home in you. Otherwise, we'll lose. And many of you are losing. And notice, you're losing. It's in the present tense. You still have air in your lungs. You can still win. But you're losing. You don't have to. And you can stop losing today. You can start to have victory. Because the victory is already given to you. See, it's not like we've got to go out and work for it. It's not like we've got to work harder. It's that we need to appropriate what's already been given to us. You see, to allow the victory that God has given you to be worked in your life. You see, because the devil was disarmed at the cross. And yes, he's the God of this world, but it's on loan. It's on loan. Similar to when you sell a house and you allow the people that used to own it to live in it for a while until you're ready to move in. That's kind of what God has allowed the devil to do. 
He's already defeated the devil at the cross, but he's allowing him to take up residence here to be the God of this world until Jesus comes back and he takes over. And hopefully that's going to be soon. But until then, we're in a battle. And the devil wants to take as many people with him as he can. Don't allow yourself to be one of them. He's given you victory. He that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. Let's stand and pray together. Father, we thank You for this time in Your Word. Lord, the things that You've revealed to us. Lord, the things that, that You've made clear to us. God, we don't want to just be hearers of Your Word, Lord, but we want to be doers of Your Word. God, we want these truths to take hold, to take root, to bring fruit. And Lord, we recognize that we're in a major battle here. And Lord, some of us are losing. We haven't lost, but we're losing. And Lord, I pray for those. Lord, I pray right now that first of all, You would forgive us, that You would cleanse us, that, Lord, we would see the cross clearly, that we would recognize there's no condemnation for those of us that are in Christ Jesus. Lord, that we would recognize if we resist the devil, he'll flee from us. Lord, right now we want You to clean our lives. God, remove the influence of the devil, the footholds and the strongholds that the devil has in our life. God, free us from bondages, from shackles, from chains. God, from things that are hindering us from what You want to do. God, we give it all to You right now. We surrender it to You, God. Lord, come and take the throne of our lives once again. Lord, we invite You to be the source of our strength, to be our protection, to be our victor. Jesus at the cross, You said it is finished. The battle is won. The race has been run. It's all been done, Lord. We just need to claim the victory. And this morning we do that, Lord, we're reminded of the victory we have in You, Jesus. We thank You that You're our champion. Lord, do that work in us. We need You. You've been listening to Pastor Ryan Couch, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County, located in Prineville, Oregon. For more information on Calvary Chapel of Crook County, you may email us at info at calvarycrookcounty.com. Or if you would like to write to us, you may do so at P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon 97754. Thank you for listening and God bless.